that and excited about kind of this next step and getting the brand out there. Uh, so this morning, uh, it, I, I promised last week we were finished with Ephesians. I didn't know Adam was going to read a verse from Ephesians when I asked him to read a verse this morning. Uh, so you can take that up with him. Uh, but that was our, that, uh, that was not, I uh, did not ask him to do that, but that was the central verse of the passage of, uh, of the sermon series we just finished up that we spent uh, almost nine months in. In Ephesians uh, was that chapter 2, verse 10 from Ephesians that says, We are God's handiwork. That we are God's handiwork. I hope the series blessed you. It did me. Uh, So we're moving on to where God has taken us next. And we're starting a week series this morning that I'm excited about. Uh, as I was praying about it, um, you know, I, we're gonna we. I love doing a book of the Bible, and we're gonna get back to that after the first of the year. Um, but looking to the rest of the year, can you believe it's almost fall? That is unbelievable. Um, so we're gonna do this ten-week sermon series called Jesus Stories, and these are not stories about Jesus. These are stories that Jesus told. They are called parables. If you spend any time in Sunday school. Uh, you have heard the word parables and know about parables. Um, So we're going to take one a week for 10 weeks. If you do the math and look at your calendar, that'll bring us right into Thanksgiving. Uh, And everybody just panicked. 10 weeks from Thanksgiving, and you don't even have your Christmas lights up. You've not bought 14 Christmas trees. You've got to go Christmas shopping. Like, I just lost everybody here. Everybody's making their to-do list in their head uh, for the next 10 weeks. But in the midst of all the chaos, you'll be able to find here on Sunday mornings uh, uh, some truth in the midst of what happens over these next three months, um, anchored in the very words that our Savior spoke. And uh, I'm excited about this series, and as I was praying about where to start and which one, this is where we landed this morning. It's in Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, you can open that up. So the title of the sermon series throughout these 10 weeks is going to be Jesus' Stories. Uh, the title of the sermon today is Lost and Found. This is the parable of the lost sheep. You all have heard that story. We're going to read it in a minute. Um, but I'll, first I want to just share um, you know, the value of a story. The value of a story. And this is how Jesus taught. You know, He didn't teach um, very rarely did he just come straight out and tell them the principle and give them stats and background and research about why something should happen. He spoke to them in stories. And I'll give you an example of how stories can have impact. Uh, so uh, this is just a, this is a real-world example for me. Um, yeah, in the work that I do, we try to uh, full-time, my day job, uh, is to do basically economic development and create uh, create jobs and a future and bring community partners together and do good work across uh, eastern Kentucky. And I could share kind of the why we need to do that work. I could say, you know, we lost 12,000 coal mining jobs. Uh, I could say the coal industry is never going to be what it once was. I could say a lot of those things. Or I could share a story, something that happened to me uh, six years ago, six and a half years ago when I was at the chamber, I went over to this school at, uh, in Knott County called Beaver Creek Elementary. Any Knott Countyans in here? Anybody know where Beaver Creek is? Uh, yeah, I got a new one would know. Uh, it, it's hard to get there from here, isn't it? Is that fair to say? It's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. 
Um, so we went over there, and we were we were given a, a grant out. We did these uh, these these school grants, and we went over there to to take the check and meet with the teacher that had applied for the grant. And it was the librarian, and um, and we uh, we brought the check. I think it was like twelve hundred fifty dollars for a project she was wanting to do. She was so excited. This was two thousand thirteen, kind of right in the middle of this this downturn, and. Um, and so we walked in, and again, she was a librarian. I walked into the library, and I had the chair of our education committee with us, Kay Baird. Many of you may know Kay. And um, we walked in, and uh, the librarian started talking to us. And I noticed sitting around in the library, and if you're a student from Eastern Kentucky, you remember the Cedar Coal Fair. You all remember the Coal Fair? Well, that was happening at the time, and the Coal Fair was the time when the students would take uh, whatever subject they were in, and they'd do some project that just helped them understand the coal industry, that they could write a poem, they could draw something, they could do something mathematical, uh, just some subject, but it aligned with the coal industry. And uh, she was just looking around, and she said, you know, this, uh, this year feels different. It feels different with our students. And uh, I began to walk around and look at those projects. And she said, you know, I'm... Our students are struggling because their family, their parents are losing jobs. She said, I'm a teacher here. My husband lost his job. We're trying to make the decision. I've been at this school 20 years. Are we going to move? Or are we going to stay? And I started looking at the projects, and I came across this one, um, and I took a picture of it. It said, Cole, the heartbeat of eastern Kentucky. And right in the center there, there's two sisters standing there holding a sign and uh, all it says is, my daddy needs a job. Now, when I said there was 12,000 jobs we lost, that's like, yeah, that's a lot of jobs. But when you see the face of two little girls and it's their daddy, that changes things. When you hear me share a story about real life, real people, that it has impacted, then... It changes the way you feel about what I just told you. Jesus knew this. He was the best at this. He designed this. You say, why is he always going to these crazy stories about sheeps and coins and, and all this crazy stuff? Because that's how he taught. And he taught with word pictures, and it left an emotional impact. And he, he talked to them about things that they related to that they could understand. And at the end of it, they'd be like, oh... Right? I see what you're saying. Sometimes, sometimes they would be like, oh, I see what you're saying. Um, so if you're with me, I'm going to jump into this scripture, um, and we're going to read it. And she's got a letter here. I was going to read that. Uh, th this is the letter she wrote on the left there. Uh, I was going to read it to you. We probably don't need to get that emotional before we start, um, but it's very, very powerful. So this morning we're talking about lost and found. We're in Luke chapter 15. Oh, let me say this. That moment I never forgot, okay? Sticks with you, right? Changes. There's moments in your life you experience things, you see things that you're never the same. That was one for me. Uh, so Jesus' stories, lost and found, starting in Luke chapter 15. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. And read through verse 10, kind of cramming an extra parable in here, the last three verses, but we're not going to spend a lot of time there. So all of you that said, I saw your slide that said 10 parables, 10 weeks, and you threw two in this week, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Chapter 15, verse 1 
of Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. That word muttered could be complained, it could be grumbled. And they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is an important verse here. And he goes on and shares another little story, very similar. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses Like it couldn't go far. It's in one room. You never take it out of that room, uh, and still you lose it somehow. And you pull the cushions like four times, and the fifth time it's there. I don't know how it works and what happens, uh, but we rejoice over that when we find the remote. Lost and found. This is stories about things we, that uh, individuals, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and has lost one and then finds it. And a lady who has jewelry, this is what that was talking about there. That coin was actually something that would have been part of uh, something that was very precious to her, to her family. <clears throat> she lost one of the ten. And it says she did every, she, everything she could to find it. And when she found it, she rejoiced. This morning, I want to start by looking at the circumstances of this story. Because uh, you know why, I've, you've heard me say why I love to preach a book of the Bible, because context is so important when you're learning God's Word. You can't just take this story, and right now you don't know what was happening, you don't know who was saying it, you don't know who wrote it down, and you don't know who they were talking to and why they were talking to them. So it's really hard to just take that and learn anything from it if you don't understand that context. One, these are the words of Jesus. Two, it was recorded by Luke, a physician. Uh, who had great attention to detail. That's the book of Luke. These are his writings about his experiences uh, with Jesus. This was written to, if you look at this first verse, uh, this first verse, it says tax collectors and sinners. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. So there's four groups you can kind of see uh, there. Let me get to Luke 15 in my Bible real quick. Because I want to read you the last verse of chapter 14 that says this. 
Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then he goes into this verse. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And he begins to tell this story. I love that, that last verse of 14 because it says, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Which tells me we can have ears but not hear. What? And all your parents said, that's true. I got kids. They got ears. They don't hear a thing I say. They don't listen. And Jesus knew this. He knew there were times in our lives that we had our ears, you know, some of us. Uh, more obvious than others. But we have our ears to hear, and yet we don't listen. Yet there are sometimes there are things when it comes to religious matters that we have taken so much pride. We think we've got it figured out that this is just another thing, and we're just listening. It's going to go in one ear. What's the saying? Out the other. In one ear, out the other. We're not taking it to heart. And he's know, he knows amongst these groups that he's speaking to. And that you could be here this morning. You could just be here going through the motions. Because it's the thing you do on Sundays with your family, with your spouse, with whoever. You're just going through the motions. You're here doing the thing. I don't need to listen to this. I got ball games this afternoon. You're thinking of the things. And you're not going to hear what I'm going to say. And it's not about what I'm going to say. Because what I'm going to say is here. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus said himself, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. I want us to start there this morning. Let's put our hearts there and say, God, your word. I'm going to pray right now. God, this moment, this time, we open our ears and we open our hearts, myself included, to receive what your word has for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. So, he goes on to say tax collectors and sinners. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Uh, well, I, somebody had a sermon series called Savage Jesus. And this is one of those moments where Jesus goes savage on these people. If you just read it real quick and you don't get the context, you don't understand it. But he says now the tax collectors and sinners, this is Luke writing about who was there. Who were the tax collectors and sinners? You got to understand in their time in Palestine at this time, it was just like, you know, modern civilization, really three classes of people, upper class, middle class, lower class. Uh, and in their time, the upper class was the smallest. Middle class was a little bit bigger. But a majority of the people were in the lower class in Palestine. Some of them were economically poor. It included disabled people, blind people. It included, uh, it included uh, uh, all kinds of people that were disabled and couldn't provide for themselves. They were beggars. It also included these two groups who were outcasts, if you will. They may not have been economically poor, but the tax collectors for sure, they were traitors. Here's what was happening in their country, in their community at the time. The Romans had taken over, and the tax collectors were the, their fellow Jews, their fellow citizens, their fellow neighbors, their brothers, their sisters, who had decided to go to work for the Romans and go to their friends and neighbors and take their taxes from them, take money from them, and give it to Rome. They did not like these people. Actually, they hated these people. Because the other thing they would do when they would collect the tax, 
it wasn't like today where you jump online and you see what's my tax bill. These tax collectors, it was their word. They'd show up at their neighbor's house and say, you owe Rome, dot, 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 and they could make it whatever they wanted and keep the difference between what Rome had told them to collect, and they kept it. So the tax collectors were usually pretty wealthy people. They were hated because they were seen as traitors. They were outcasts. And then you had the sinners. Now, uh, the, the Pharisees would have seen um, the sinners. Uh, they would have seen... If you ask them, they might have said, you know, yes, we're all sinners at some level. But this group that they're talking about here are people who are just openly, like openly, completely sinning every day of their life. It is uh, how it describes their life. Uh, it, is, uh, it is who they are. They're prostitutes. They're drunkards. They're sluggards. They're people that you would say, that person's a bad person. The person, you would say, I'm glad I'm not those people. So here's Jesus. In our day and time, these are the meth heads. These are the people that we drive by and I hear people talk about. Say, I can't hire people for all the meth heads. These are the people that Jesus was with. The tax collectors and the sinners. These are the people we try to stay away from. These are the people we don't want to be associated with. This was a culture of shame and honor. And if you were with these people, it was shameful. And yet the creator of all of earth sat and had dinner with them. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Who had the ears to hear? Who had the ears to hear? This is but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now we've got deacons and elders here and this was not a Christian church at that time. This was still the Jewish, old Jewish law. Jewish religion, but these were the leaders. These were the ones who knew the law inside and out, the Pharisees. They thought they were better than everybody. They thought they had it figured out. They thought they were righteous of their own ability. They did not have ears to hear. It says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what were they doing? You had their, the creator, the God they believed in that someday was going to send a Messiah, the one that was going to send the Messiah. They served the same God. They believed in that God, and yet their Messiah was standing in front of them, and they were complaining about him. Can you wrap your mind? They were so caught up in their self-righteousness. They could not even hear. They could not even see. They could not even open their hearts of what's possible because they thought they had it figured out. And it says, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Listen, how they felt about it. You were considered, uh, let's see, I wrote it down here. People, let's see, people of the world, people of the land. I can't remember exactly what it was. I wrote it down somewhere. 
my notes, I'm, I left them a long time ago, I'm sorry. Uh, people of the world, people of the land, something like that, what they call them. But if you ate with one of them, you were ostracized. If you were a Pharisee and you got caught inviting one of these tax collectors or these sinners to your house and you had dinner with them, it was done. You'd brought shame to your house, it was over. And here's Jesus, apparently having dinner with them. This man welcomes sinners. And he eats with them. So you got the sinners, the, the repute, the, the ones that everybody is ashamed of and, and tries to stay away from and, and get scared when they see them come and they go the other direction and, and, and they're trying to get out of their presence and they just, they, they just go on thinking, I'm so good and that person's so bad, I got to get away from them. And you got one running to Jesus and you got one complaining about Jesus. I could this could be a sermon on complaining. Uh, I'm not going to go there for long, but just for a minute, I'm going to read five verses from the New Testament about complaining. I'll say this: a complaint is a audible representation of your heart at that moment. Is that fair to say? Out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Let me read you this: Philippians two fourteen. Do the things you like to do when everybody loves you without grumbling or questioning. All my biblical scholars went, wait, that's not in there. It says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. James 5, 9 says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. What should come out of our mouth? That such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give peace and grace to those who hear. 1 Corinthians 10.10, As Paul was writing, thinking about the Old Testament, telling stories about what happened to people in the Old Testament, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. If we want to give the devil access to the work that we're doing to bring it down, complaining is a place to start. 1 Peter 4 9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That was a mini sermon in a sermon. And we're moving on. Somebody's going to complain about it. It'll probably be me. The, the Pharisees stand that this is happening. Okay? They cannot stand. This is driving them crazy. They're grumbling to themselves. So there's your audience. Here's Jesus getting ready to speak and tell this story. Okay? He's going to tell this story. So who's he talking to? He's talking to the, the tax collectors, the sinners, and he's got the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law here. That's who's listening him say this we saw what they were doing the the sinners were gathered around to ear they had an ear to hear the righteous were complaining um so we see the circumstances and i want to take just a minute uh to talk about how this looks and this scripture really points to the condition of our hearts 
I think when I probably first read this, and many times I've read it over the years and heard about it, I thought the, the first story we read about the shepherd and 99 sheep and 100 sheep, I always imagined in my mind that that was just talking about like the church. There's 100 of us at church. And one of the church members gets lost and they go out. And that God loves them so much that he goes to find them. That's kind of how I always thought about it. Uh, and I, I think I've, after studying, I think I'm pretty sure I've, I was wrong about that. I don't think that is what Jesus is saying at all. I think what he was saying, if you look, uh, let's see, this verse, verse 7. When you see this, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, well, who are the righteous people that don't need to repent? The Bible is pretty clear that said all of our righteousness are filthy rags. That there's none righteous, no, not one. So who of us, who are the 99 that don't need to repent? And what I, what I really think here is this is Jesus being a little bit sarcastic. You remember who he's talking to here? Can you remember who he's talking to here? The sinners and the tax collectors and then the Pharisees. What did the Pharisees think? They were better. They thought they were righteous already. They thought they didn't need to repent. And what Jesus was doing, he was jabbing them a little bit. He was saying, you know what? You're complaining because I'm having dinner with these people. These people are seeking out my word, and their hearts are right. Their word, it's applying to them, and they are repenting. They're, now, let me tell you, there is more joy, he says, in heaven over one of these filthy prostitutes that says, I'm sorry, God, I profess you're my Savior, Jesus. Then all those Pharisees running around acting like they're all good, goody, goody, goody. Now, I think we just have uh, sometimes a tendency to start feeling like that. I think we have sometimes a tendency uh, to, to start thinking, you know, I've been a Christian 20 years. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible. That's why I'm good. That's why God loves me. Because I've came to church three Sundays in a row or, you know, what, whatever we make that list out to be. We start to think we've done some amount of good. And because we've done some amount of good, it eradicates any bad that we've done. And because somebody else is doing more bad than we're doing bad, that makes them so much worse than us. And they are poor and pitiful. And if they could only do better and be a better person, we start thinking that way. I promise you, we do. But this teaches us what I, what I really believe, and I, I, maybe you don't know that, but just, you don't have to say it out loud. But when I said uh, there was 99 that were with him and there was one that was lost, where did your mind immediately go to? Did you think, oh, man, I hate it for that lost sheep? I'm so I know some people that are lost sheep. Or did your heart go to say, that's me? Did your heart go to say, that was me? That is me. I am lost. 
I am lost without the hope of Jesus. Without Jesus, I am lost. So what does it mean to be lost? Let's take that just for a minute. Uh, I don't have my phone, anything up here. I don't know what time it is, so I'm just going to go till I'm finished. I usually try to be pretty good. Um, and I've got a feeling I'm pretty, good on, I'm pretty good on time. Condition of hearts. We find in this story that each and every human being that's ever been born is the, is the one that is lost. Is the sheep that is lost. What does it mean to be lost? It means God created us. He created you. The world will tell you you were an accident. It was by happenstance. You know, you know it was just some uh, fluke of nature that the earth was created and that we got you know, all these complex organs and the way that the body works and uh, the way that science is. They'll tell you that all, all that was by chance. The Bible tells us God created us on purpose with a purpose. Each and every person. Not only did he create you, he loves you, and he wants a personal relationship with you. He doesn't want you to be good. He doesn't want you to act better, to act more like a Christian. He doesn't want you to stop doing bad things. He wants a personal relationship with you. But God is so righteous that when we are born and we're born into sin, it says we are all sinners. That because of the sin in our life, we cannot have a personal relationship with a holy God. You can't do it. He loves you and he wants a personal relationship. Who has sinned? Everybody. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is doing things the good things that we know we should do, but not. But the Bible says that Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came and he lived perfect. He didn't sin. He was righteous. The thing we can't do. The thing we can never do. And yet he went to the cross and took the punishment that we all deserved. He went and died, became the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And the Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. It's that simple. You were born, you were born into sin, God created you on purpose, he loves you, he wants a relationship with you, you can't do it with the sin in your life. But through Jesus and your faith in him, his righteousness can become your righteousness. His righteousness can become your righteousness. And I love this in verse 5. What does it mean? What happens when... We're found. We've sang the song Amazing Grace our whole lives. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus gives a bit of a word picture here of, of what happens. And what does it mean to be found? One, I think there's truth here that God is seeking you. He pursues us. We sing the song Reckless Love that he comes after us. What can keep him away from us? Nothing. Except our own disbelief. 
But he says he's pursuing us. He's, he's out looking for these lost sheep. He loves you that much. He created you. The way you get found is up to you. It's through faith. Will we profess his name? Will we believe in our hearts? Will we give our lives to him? Will we say, God, Jesus Christ is my Savior? What happens when we say that? He joyfully puts us on his shoulders. Makes us one of his God's children. We become part of the family. He calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Amen. Same thing in the second story where the, the lady finds her, uh, her piece of jewelry and she celebrates and she rejoices. And he says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. This is what Jesus was speaking to. This is what he was speaking into at the time. The Pharisees represented moralistic religion, and guess what? It's not gone away. It's not gone away. You are going to meet people that are super religious, that are going to expect you to live certain ways, do things, and, and they, will, they will tell you before they say you need Jesus, they'll say you need to do this, 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 and this. They'll say, you need to stop living together. You need to stop doing drugs. You need to stop drinking. You need to stop this. You need to stop this. And that is not in the Bible. Okay? This is moralistic religion. I obey. That means you've got to think. You've got to do everything right before God will accept you. And that is not the gospel. The gospel is I am accepted by God through Jesus Christ and my faith in him. Therefore, I obey. Now, does it mean when you get saved that you can just live in, you know, Paul said this, does grace mean give me a free license to sin and live life any way that I want? Absolutely not. When you're really saved, your heart's regenerated, your mind is renewed, and God sets you on a different path. You just wake up, you know, go to bed one day, uh, you know, the, the biggest sinner you've ever met, and wake up the next day being the pope, pastor, whatever. No, it doesn't work that way. It's a process of justification. And sanctification, that God comes into your life and begins to change your heart from the inside out. That's what Jesus was saying to these people here. They didn't like it. Are you surprised? They thought they had it figured out. The Pharisees thought they had it figured out. Uh, And they didn't. We often want to focus this story and focus in on God here and think about how exciting it is to know that he's coming after us, that he's looking for us. They so personally cares deeply about the lost. Not only that he cares, he comes after us, and when we're found, he carries us on his shoulders. And I mean, he just loves us. He celebrates that we become one of his. But this is really a call to check our hearts. Not necessarily celebrate who God is. This is a time to think back. When I said, when I mentioned the one, did you think of someone else or have you forgotten that you were the one? And that the other person you thought of, the only difference between you and them is your faith. And the Bible says your faith was a gift from God. 
that, that any judgment, any down looking, looking down our nose of saying that people, I've got to get away from those people. I don't want to be associated with them. Jesus had dinner with them. It's a call to check our hearts. I want to read this one few sentences here. Someone wrote about this section. It says, the Pharisees saw themselves as being the beloved of God and the sinners as refuse. Jesus uses the Pharisees' prejudices against them while encouraging the sinners with one clear message. That message is this, God has a tender personal concern. God has a joyous love for individuals who are lost in sin and are found. You, you get found through repentance. That means saying, God, I'm sorry. I want to do better with your help. I trust you, not myself. Jesus makes it clear that the Pharisees who thought they were close to God were actually distant. And those sinners and tax collectors were the ones God was seeking after. We see the same message in 18, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. There, Jesus is teaching on attitudes of prayer, but the problem he is addressing is the same as chapter 15. In 1814, Jesus provides the conclusion for us. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. you remember that prayer in chapter 18? Where the Pharisee, he's standing up and he's being loud and he's praying and he says, Thank God I'm not the tax collector. That was this prayer. Yet, the tax collector who was praying for mercy. Are we praying for mercy? Are we thankful for our own mercy? Are we proud, so proud that we feel like we've done so good and we love to look down our noses at other people and say they've done bad? Are we begging for mercy? Are we saying, thank God I'm not the tax collector? Because the tax collector found God's grace. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We had, uh, Bethany and I got to um, spend some time together Friday. We're still working on planning this event at the church next Saturday night, uh, this recovery celebration. And uh, we got to go have breakfast Friday, brunch, whatever that is. Between breakfast and lunch, we ate breakfast food. Uh, uh, what's it called? Southern Biscuit over here. Hadn't been there yet. And we walked over and uh, had breakfast before we had this planning meeting at noon here at the church. And we were sitting there and we were, we were eating breakfast and we're going, we started eating healthy. So we split, uh, uh, order of biscuits and gravy. <laughs> it's portion control. You know, we only got one and split it. We can either both get fruit and oatmeal, or we can split biscuits and gravy. But when we walked in, a waitress came up to us, and um, she got like was running, and she was feeling a little uncomfortable. And uh, she said, "Did you all used to have the be part of the church down here at Jenny Wiley?" And uh, we said, uh, "Yeah." And she said, "I told them I wanted to wait on your table." I wanted to be first. I came out. I wanted to wait on your table. And she was almost crying. And she said, I've been clean three years. 
She said, two years ago, I was in a program called West Care. And I was in the jail. And what your church did when you opened the doors... And you made us feel at home. Now listen, there were some of us, the first time we invited the girls from jail over, and they were in red, we wanted to stand on the other side of the room. And there were many times that people came to me and said, are you sure about this? Do you trust them? Not really. But I love them. Let's take some basic things to keep our people safe but we better love them and she said what that the impact of your church and us being there two years ago changed my life forever she was bawling and crying she said I've never felt loved like I felt there no judgment no prejudice. I have to ask myself, are our hearts still there? Is Jesus our Savior? That's what this sign says. Jesus is my Savior, not religion. You know, she remembered Rosalind's name. I don't know how she did it. Two years. Ros was sitting there with us, our little girl. And uh, she said, what do you want, Rosalind? And if you remember, uh, I mean, Rosie, when they'd come over, she was just uh, she was taking them food, drinking waters with them, just hanging out with them. It's just one. There's been hundreds come through the doors. What we're getting ready to do Saturday night is important. The people that we're inviting here, I tell you who I want, the tax collectors and the sinners. The people that we typically walk on the other side of the street from, that's who we want here. That's who we're trying to reach. Because we're all there. We were all there. Maybe not as bad or maybe, you know, we may not have had a felon, but we were lost in our sin without a hope. As we prepare for this event next Saturday night, that's just where I want our hearts to be. There is hope. Jesus shared that with those people that were there in front of him. There was actually hope for the Pharisees if they would have cared enough to see it. If they would have opened their hearts to see it. If they'd have had ears to hear and see it. There was hope. Do you remember tonight or this morning that maybe it is tonight, I don't have my clock. <laughs> Do you remember that you were lost? Do you remember that absent The grace of God. You have no hope. Do we remember that? 
you're here this morning. Maybe you've never professed. Maybe you've always just listened. You've You've just gone through the motions and you've never opened your heart to hear the truth. What I've done my best to share this morning is the truth that Jesus shared. That he would rather see someone repent. Someone with a humbled heart. It doesn't matter where you came from, what you've done. In that moment, God will change you. He will embrace you. He'll throw you on his shoulder. He'll run off. He'll celebrate. He'll shout. And your life will never be the same. As we all stand and get ready for a song this morning. Don't know that it's going to work. I'm going to try one more time. <laughs>